Welcome to Lebanon Christian Church. I'm Philip, one of the ministers, and I, I get the, the excitement and the joy to share with you today and to close out our Simple Christmas Sermon Series that we've been in for all of December, um, and we're going to close it out today. So I'm just really glad that you're here. If you are just joining us, our whole attempt with this series was to strip away the complexity we build around the season and to get back to what it just simply means. So we're really thankful for you to be here. No doubt a lot of you are nearing the end of your uh, Christmas season. I heard one uh, a, a lady in our life group said that they actually have another one today. It's like number three or four. So maybe that's you. Um, for us, we ended ours yesterday and uh, surely it started to slow down for you a little bit. You've probably eaten some food, maybe opened a gift or two. Um, maybe you've already been one of these people we hear about on the radio that's like standing into the return line to return the weird stuff that you got. Um, who knows? And then no doubt a lot of you are probably gearing up for the new year, and whether you're going to have a party or go to a party or you're thinking of your life changing sometime in this next year, so you're starting to make a resolution because you want something to change about your life next year. You know, the Christmas season is the season where churches are the most full. Uh, The Christmas and Easter are the times of year that we see tons of people in church, and that's where this series, the idea for this series came from. If if people only come um, mainly those two times of year, what are the simple things that we need to hear, uh, that we would want people to hear that would give them hope uh, during this holiday season? And we talked about a lot of things. We've talked about joy. We've talked about family. We've even talked about some hurt. Uh, We've dug into history behind the Christmas story. But there's still one thing that we haven't actually talked about. And we're going to finish out today with talking about just that. It's actually something that we do if you're a church person every week. Um, We're doing it right now in here. It's something that... A lot of times we maybe overcomplicate a little bit. Um, it's something that if you're a church person and try to explaining this to someone who's maybe doesn't go to church, it can be a little confusing. It's something that if you're not a church person, it may even weird you out, just the word itself. The thing that we haven't yet talked about, and we're going to end our time today talking about, is worship. Worship. What do we mean when we say worship? Have you ever stopped to consider what worship really is. Now, isn't that just the music time of the service? What is worship? It's something that if you don't go to church on a regular basis, um, it may actually kind of freak you out. If someone says, you want to come worship with me? You're like, it sounds like a cult. I don't think I want to. And it may be some where if you are a church person, you you try to explain it to other people. And you, you just maybe say, just come to Sunday morning and find out. <laughs> or it's something that we relate to the music time of the service, maybe to communion offering, maybe to preaching, for sure to lunch, right? But worship is something that is pivotal to the follower of Jesus' life. In fact, it is through worship, just the simplest definition of worship, that we truly encounter God at a level we never could have without worship. It's through worship that we can actually come to a place of real joy that lasts. It's through worship that many can deal with the empty holiday season that you felt that is now past. It's through worship that many of us deal with the addictions of our past or the trials of our past. It's through worship that if you are a follower of Jesus, it bridges the gap between you and the person that you claim is king of your life. Worship bridges that gap. If you're not a church person, there's probably two 
two things you think of. The first is it's probably because of worship that you gravitate towards that Christian person in your life. There is something different about them, about the way they live their life, about the way they carry themselves, the way they talk and serve. There's something different, and it's attractive to you, and you may gravitate towards those Christian people. Or it maybe had the opposite effect. Maybe you've encountered somebody who had a warped view of worship, and maybe you even grew up in a, in a home where worship was mandated and not an invitation into a relationship. And it may have even drove you away. And you might be listening online or you might be here today for the first time in a long time. And the reason it's been a long time is because of somebody's view of worship that just drove you away. If that is you, I'm really, really glad that you are here to listen in on what worship really is. So, as you can tell, it's something important that we need to talk about. But let's just start by listing the things that worship is not before we jump into our story, which is a Christmas story today. Let's just address what worship is not. Worship is not music only. Music is a huge part of how we worship, but it's not music only. It's not tied to only the music portion of our service Worship is not a performance. Worship is not a hobby. Worship isn't even a preference. Worship is never boring. And this is the most important one. It's not tied to where you attend church. Today we are talking about worship. Simple worship. And along with this simple Christmas theme, I think it's important for us to get back to what just simple worship is. Because the truth is, all of us, whether you are a Christian or not, whether you're a church person or not, all of us worship something. We're actually creatures designed for worship. And here's how we know this. Um, Many of us will worship our sports team or our specific uh, sport. For me, it was bull riding. Listen, when Saturday night came on at 8 o'clock, do not talk to me because I wanted to watch the live performance and then I wanted to watch the instant rerun for the next two hours after that. That was the most important thing. If bull riding's on, I'm out. You might don't have a serious conversation with me because I'm definitely not going to listen. Now, f- for others, it, it could be family. We worship family. That's the most valuable thing in our life. For some of us, it's our career. For some of us, it's health and fitness. For some of us, it's the dollar signs we see in our bank account or the lack of. And that's what we elevate. For some of us, it's our career. We we do want to progress. We constantly are thinking about our career. and We want to get to that next level. We want that next promotion. For many of us, we maybe worship our opinions. Some politicians... We worship all different kinds of things. Here's why I say that. Okay, it's not just my random thoughts. Here's why I say that. Because of the simplest definition of worship. Worship is simply this. Worship is adding value to something in your life above everything else. So worship is when we elevate something in our life above everything else. Obviously, we need to get back to the central theme of what worship really is. If, if you do follow Jesus, you probably wondered, like, what is real worship? How do I know if I'm actually doing this? If you're not a follower of Jesus, these are probably questions you're asking. What are all these people doing here anyways? What does it mean to say your life is worship? That sounds really weird. And I'm really glad both are here 
today. And I actually think the answer to our question, we have to go back to the very beginning, don't hate me, the beginning of the Christmas story. For some of you, you're like, that's next year, let's stop. Okay, but we have to go back to the beginning of the Christian story, or of the Christmas story. And it's in a story that we like to call, we've, we've heard it called the story of the wise men, or the magi. Very popular story. It's one of the most popular stories. And the reason we're going back there, that is the first time the word worship is used in conjunction with Jesus in all the New Testament. It's the first time. We've got to go back to that story. Now, it's actually written from a a man who traveled with Jesus. He was actually a man who was one of Jesus' closest followers and friends. He was a man who was considered a traitor by his own people. He was Jewish, and he worked as a tax collector for Rome. So he robbed his Jewish brothers and sisters. He was considered a traitor, an outcast. Nobody liked him. Until one day, he meets Jesus in his tax collector booth, and he has this transformational conversation, and he realizes there's something about this rabbi. I must follow him. So he leaves everything. Some scholars say he left everything but his pen to write down all that he would see. He's considered the smartest person who traveled with Jesus of the original 12. He had the highest education. And he leaves to follow Jesus, and he had two purposes for writing. When you read the Gospel of Matthew, it's the first book in your, in your New Testament Bible. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, every single thing he talks about is an attempt to do two things. The first is he wants his Jewish brothers and sisters to realize finally that Jesus is the promised Messiah they've long waited for. He was him, so he proves who he is. That's why we have the genealogy at the beginning. That's why he writes the way that he does, to convince his own people Jesus is the Messiah. And then the second reason, and we're really thankful of this one, his second reason for writing is to show every person, especially the Jews, that what Jesus did, what he came to accomplish, was for all people, not just the Jewish people, which was a brand new idea for the Jewish people. But now God's grace, his message, his, his power is open for all people. Those are the two themes. Everything you read in Matthew, those will jump out to you. Now let's set the stage. In this story, it's in Matthew 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, click there, whatever, it'll be on the screen too. But it's in Matthew 2, and let's set the stage a little bit. You've heard of this man a lot. His name is King Who? Herod, he's ruling. He's kind of messed up, okay? He killed his own wife and some of his sons because they threatened his rule to his throne. He's really twisted, okay? He's built this massive palace for himself in Jerusalem, and that's where he lives. Well, Jesus, at this point, is estimated to be somewhere between six months and two years old. Our manger scenes kind of get it wrong in a sense. We put the wise men at the manger. They never saw the manger. He was almost in his terrible twos when they finally met him. And that's how Jesus is when we come to this story in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So who are the magi? Who are the wise men? Well, they are Gentile astrologers, scholars, and some people say they studied mysteries. They were very, very, very wealthy and really, really smart. Now, 
they were not Jewish people, which is really neat that the first time Jesus is worshipped, according to Matthew, was not even by his own people. It was Gentile people. And they come and they meet Jesus, and it was, our tradition likes to tell us that there was three. But there was actually a lot more than three. This, these people traveled in large groups. And the reason we think there are three, if this is your first time reading this story, um, remember why Matthew wrote. They offer gifts of gold, what? And gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They offered many more gifts than that, but those are the three Matthew chooses to write down. Why? Because Matthew is trying to prove Jesus is the king, the Messiah. So he only records the three gifts that are worthy of a king. And that's where we get, oh, well, it must have been three wise men, but it was a lot more than that. He just wanted to prove that Jesus is who he says that he is. Now, did we mention that they were Gentiles? They weren't even Jewish. They had no idea about the Messianic prophecies. But God spoke to them. It said they saw a star in whatever religion they studied. In whatever they were, they were um, studying and, and experts in, their religion, God communicated through that religion. Do, do you understand the significance of that? No other religion, nothing would stand in the way between God and the human heart. He communicated through a whole other religion to these people and allowed this star to show, which in their religion symbolized a king was born. And this passage is so important. The story is so important because it shows God's attempt and his desire to bridge the gap between all generations, all religions, all people, so that all would know who Jesus is. It is so incredible. So why did they go to Jerusalem? Jesus is where? It's in Bethlehem. Why go to Jerusalem? Because when the star rose, it symbolized a king. And they thought, well, if a king was born, it was probably the king's son. So they go to Jerusalem where Herod lives, and this is where the story gets a little more interesting. When King Herod heard This he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked, where is the Messiah that was to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied. So Herod was disturbed because a toddler in his terrible twos was threatening his throne. And you didn't threaten the king's throne. So in the following verses, he talks about, uh, he asks when the star was first appeared so he would know how old the child was. Now, why was Jerusalem disturbed? Because that's kind of weird. If, if you just read your Bible so quickly, you'll miss that little nugget there. It says, but Jerusalem with him. Jerusalem, you should know, was home to a lot of the famous Jewish leaders, religious leaders, and they were corrupted. They had taken God's message and twisted it in such a way to oppress people and to use it as a position of power in a way to gain wealth. And sadly, probably some of you know people who have done that, maybe even to you. And they knew, they were disturbed because they knew if this Messiah was actually here, if he was the one that was supposed to come, everything they had built was about to crumble which it eventually did. Now let's pause. Let's go back to your junior high days. For some of you, that may take a while to recall um, versus some, some of the others. Um, but let's go back to junior high. Do you, and maybe, maybe this 
happen for you later in life. In fact, this may be how you met your spouse. I don't know. But do you remember when you first thought that person was, like, cute? You're in junior high, and you work up the courage to go talk to that person, and you pulled the just asking for a friend trick. You know what I'm talking about. So you finally work up the courage, and you're like, hey, what's up? Um, I'm just asking for a friend, but do you like want a boyfriend? <laughs> and if they said yes, you said, well, it just so happens that the friend who I'm asking for looks just like me and uh, sounds just like me. And if she is like, okay, you're like, it's me. <laughs> Surprise. I don't know if that's really your story or not. Um, but Herod does sort of the same thing. He pulls a just asking for a friend. He's actually really clever. We don't give him enough credit, but he is really clever. Here's what he does. Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. He said, hey, just asking for a friend, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. Pretty slick, Herod. And they leave, and they go. Do you notice that Jesus had all the odds stacked against him? He shouldn't have survived. The king wanted him dead. But God kept his plan because nothing was going to come in between God and his plan to save you. Nothing. Not even a power-hungry king. All the odds stacked against him, and still he survived. So what happens next? The plot is set. What happens before we get to that, I think it's important for us to regroup. Let's remember why we're here. Simple worship. Remember why Matthew wrote what he wrote. He wanted to convince his brothers and sisters that Jesus is the Messiah and that everyone can worship him. But, you know, we, if I could be honest with you, we overcomplicate worship. Maybe you've even grown used to a warped view of worship. For Herod, he had a pretty warped view of worship. Uh, he thought he was a god and that people should worship him. Those Jewish religious leaders had a warped view, and they thought it was to be used to oppress people, to get what you want, use power. You've no doubt seen a warped view of worship, I'm sure, in your lifetime. And you're probably wondering right now, what is the unfiltered, undiluted version. What's the simplest definition of worship? Well, we realize it's not a what, but a who. It's not a where, it's a who. After they heard the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went on ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Why were they so overjoyed? They weren't even Jewish. They didn't know what the Messiah was. But think about these wise men and their journey up to this point. Number one, they saw this star that symbolized the new king. 
in their own religion. They're like, whoa, something important's happening. And then they end up in Herod's palace, and they overhear these Jewish teachers talk about a Messiah. They overhear this promised Messiah that was going to come, and some thought he would restore power to the Jewish nation. Some thought he was going to do just incredible things. And they had put the pieces together because they're wise men that something was happening. Something was happening. And now the star all of a sudden appears. It went away for a while. And they've longed for that star. And it finally appears as they come on to Bethlehem. And they are overjoyed because it's literally moving and guiding them and stops at a house. And they are overjoyed because all of this stuff that they had just seen, they are about to find out what the fuss is all about. In Matthew, one of Jesus' closest friends, he writes their reaction So simple. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. The word used for worship simply means to pay homage to or to apply worth to. That's all it means. They applied worth to a person, a baby, a two year old. That was the center of their worship. The center of worship is not a what, it's not a where, it's not a tradition. The center of worship is a who, Jesus. In fact, Matthew writes this story in such a way to show everyone who would read it, even the Jews, even us, that the center and most unfiltered, simplest version of worship is just centered around Jesus. That's it. And out of the joy that he brings, they offered the very best they had to offer. Because worship of Jesus evokes a joy and a desire to offer the very best of who we are and what we have. Worship of Jesus is pure and simple joy in knowing him as king of our life and giving all we are to him. And you know what's great about that? The longer you walk with Jesus, the more perfect he makes who you are and the best that you can give. It is a never-ending road. So, why do we tell the story? It's after Christmas. Why are we going back to the beginning? We are going back and telling this story because many of us are sitting in this room right now or you're listening and you want your life to look different than it does right now at this time next year. And the only way that is going to happen is through worship. Because here's the truth of the human life. Whether you're a Christian or not, what you apply worth to determines how your life will look next year at this time. To put it another way, what you elevate in your life will determine how your life looks next year at this time. If someone were to stand on the outside of your life looking in, to what would they say you apply the most worth? I've thought about this question a lot these last few weeks as I've been praying and working through this message to share. What, what would I want people to see? And I wonder what it would look like if people were to look at my life and they wouldn't see a what, but a who. Jesus. 
I wonder what my life would look like, how my life should look, if that's really what I want people to see is Jesus. You know, most of you are probably gearing up for this new year. And most of you probably want your life to change in some way. Maybe it's to lose weight. Maybe it's to finally, like, put that gym membership to use. Maybe it's to have a child. Maybe it's to get married or to find someone that even remotely meets the qualifications of getting married. Maybe it's to buy a house. Maybe it's to find a new job or to get better grades or to finally not say uh, just asking for a friend, but just say, hey, I like you. Whatever it is for you, they typically center around us finding some sort of contentment and some sort of happiness in our own lives. It centers around what we place the most worth on or the most worship on in our life. But what if, if you're a Christian, I just want to talk to just, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I just want to talk to you for a minute. Uh, What if, if you're a follower of Jesus, this next year, you just decided you were going to give the very best of who you are, whatever that looks like? Because simple worship is much more than music, a Bible study, even listening to K-Love, okay? Simple worship is so much deeper than what we do. It's, 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 it's about what we are applying the most worth to and who we are applying the most worth to. That determines where we end up this time next year. If you're not a Christian, just hang with me because I, I do have an idea for you if, if you choose to accept it um, for a New Year's resolution. But for those of you who follow Jesus I think there are three things that I've seen in the stories found in the New Testament and in the Christian people that I know. There are three things that are always true of people who simply worship Jesus. And we shouldn't overcomplicate this. There's just three things that I've always seen as true. The first one, and and before I get that, you can use these as kind of a North Star, pun intended, for your life as you walk with Jesus. And here's the three things. The first, your life will apply worth to other people's lives even when they annoy you. Even your enemies, your life will add value onto other people. Another thing, if you simply worship Jesus, is you will resolve to find out everything you can about this man named Jesus who changed the face of the world and changed your life. And you will try to find any creative and loving way to retell that story. Notice creative and loving way to retell that story. And the third thing, I think this is the most important one. Everything you do, if you simply worship Jesus, will hinge on the answer to this question. And you've heard Craig and I talk about this from the stage a lot. But this question, I think, is key. What does love require? What does love require of me in this situation? Those are the three things I have seen true in those people who simply love and worship Jesus. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if if you aren't a Christian, I fully recognize that I have no right to tell you what to do. And I am not trying. I'm just speaking from a friend. Just asking, as a friend, just asking you to consider one thing. Just one thing. It's really easy. Just add this to your list of New Year's resolutions. And here it is. Find out why. Christians make such a big deal about following Jesus. Just find out why. And in fact, I'm going to help you step into 2019 already having accomplished that little resolution because we're going to answer it right now. Here's the reason why Christians make such a big deal about following Jesus. Here's the reason joy is the primary emotion of those who simply worship. It's because of the rest of the story. 
We don't worship a two-year-old. He grew up. And you know what he did? He actually started to form relationships with people that everyone else thought was insignificant. People whose stories look just like yours and mine, he walked with. In fact, if you've ever felt lost, beat up, broken down, uh, rejected, any of those things, insignificant, you are exactly the person Jesus came to walk with. He didn't come for people who have it all together. He came for you. You know, the Magi's worship was just a hint of what would come because Jesus would grow up. Even when Herod tried to kill him by having every two-year-old in that town butchered, Jesus survived. And he grew. And he started to perform these signs and wonders, and he started to teach and do miraculous things. He gained quite a following. In fact, he, he made everyone think that something just crazy significant and amazing was coming, and that he was the gateway to it. He, the Jews thought they knew what that meant. They thought they meant that they were going to be in power again. That's not what it meant. But the Gentiles thought it meant something else. They're like, we don't know who the Messiah is, but obviously this guy's going places. He's going to do something. Something significant was about to happen. And then guess what? He dies. That's it. He died after making everyone believe he was this special Messiah. He just dies. Did you know that even the man whose words we read today, Matthew, and all of Jesus' followers, every one of them thought, game over. There were no Christians when Jesus died on that cross, none. But then, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do in a little private conversation he had with some of his closest followers. He gathered them around and he says, guys, I will die. They freaked out. He said, no, I'll die, but I will come back for you. Not as a ghost. I will literally rise from the dead. And they're like, Dude, no way. There is no way. They thought he was nuts. Then he dies, and guess what? He did it. He absolutely did it. And I'm speaking not from just Christian scholars who are biased, but even unchristian scholars, they realize he actually did walk out of that grave. He did it. So, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I helped you answer the first one. Here's your second part of this resolution should you choose to accept it. Find out why following Jesus, a man who actually pulled off his own death and resurrection. Find out why following Jesus, a man who came to seek and save those who culture said was lost. Find out why following Jesus, someone who came to give life meaning, could make all the difference for you all you got to do. 2019 is coming, and 2019 can be a year of change. And it will change by whatever and whoever you elevate the most in your life will determine how it looks next year as you sit this time. Do you know the first question that was asked of Jesus was, where is he? I don't know if you caught it, but in that story, they said, where is he? Show up at Herod's palace. Where's the king? Where is he? What if, what if every day when we woke up this next year, we began the day asking the same question? Where are you? 
Jesus, where are you? He answers that question. Be prepared to go where he says to go. Where is he? Father, we don't worship a dead king, but an alive one. There are no crosses in this place with Jesus hanging on them because he's not. He rose. We thank you for that truth. Father, where are you? Every day when we wake up this next year, I pray that our prayer would be, where are you? Where is the king? I hope that as we ask that question, we realize (laughs) every time we say, Jesus, where are you? We look to our side. He's right there walking with us. Thank you for that truth. Jesus, I ask that this year, if there are people here who aren't quite sure, people here who are skeptical, people here who say, I do not, I, I will not, they would just begin to maybe ask the question, where are you? Father, those who are here in this room, who are listening, who who have walked with you for a long time. Sometimes our walks with you feel like it's just going on and on and like there's no passion. Where are you? Show us the answer to that question because you are already here. Jesus, where are you? Amen.